welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. My name is Carrie Ebert, and I will be joined here shortly, shortly by my good friend uh, Mike from at Grow Now ADHD. I think is his handle on social media. Uh, so tonight we are going to be discussing a few chapters from our current uh, book, which is the Co-Regulation Handbook. So let me get Mike on here. Also. Going to have the author be joining us tonight as well. Let's see if we can make all this happen. Here comes Mike. Hey, hello, Mike, hello. It is so good to see you. Oh, you know, I need these little earbud things in. This will make my life a little easier here. There you go. <laughs> there we go. It's been a couple How are you? I'm, I'm out of practice. Let me get Linda on here. Let's see here. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, almost it forgot. It is so this. good to see you. Man, it's been a hot minute, hasn't it? It's been a while. You're finally home, I see. I see the books. <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, Linda. Hey, Hi. Linda. How are it's you? Good. It's good to see you both so oh, much. I miss yeah. you, and we're not together on Mondays. I tell you. I and know, I, I know. I feel bad. I feel like I should have done last week. I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming for the entire week, and I had to present in Des Moines on Saturday, drive to Cheyenne, which was a 10-hour drive on Sunday, and then I worked mm. with the school district all week. And so I was beyond exhausted. So I was like, we need to be fresh for this. I need to have mm -hmm. um, some time to actually soak in the chapter. So anyways, we are reading the co-regulation handbook. And if you are new to Chapter Chat, this is the second book written by Linda Murphy. The first book that we have already studied is the Declarative Language Handbook. So Mike, this is our, what, fifth book in our our new little book club I think series. so yeah I think yeah, it I is more here yeah fifth yeah book. yeah fifth book yeah. so um yeah it's been so almost I, a year since we started isn't that something isn't that we started during COVID yeah when we didn't yeah. know what to yeah. do with ourselves when I was like home every day for 500 and what was it 70 days I was home and I was like I'm bored I need something to do so yeah <laughs> and I know I say this every time but for people who haven't heard earlier books definitely go back because it's all such great information and um and I love how you just help us keep learning about you are you everything reading? so are you did you just get done or have you been listening to finish lessons? Yeah, finish lessons. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't so, it fascinating? That, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I've, for I've sure. been referring to that book. I've been doing a lot of presentations and talking about the cognitive hypothesis and executive sure. functions. And it's amazing how often I'm referring back to all of the chapter chat books, especially finished lessons. Yeah. Uh, yep. And it really, it really opens the eyes to a lot of educators of what's possible, what else is out there. Because right. sometimes we think this is the only way, this, this system that we have, but seeing the success they have there is just, it, I think it really inspires I have to, I just have to share something before we get started with our book. So when I was uh, out in this school district, um, I was really focused on like kind of the kindergarten. I was really curious what they're doing, you know, at the youngest years and they're using this new curriculum. I won't, I won't bash the curriculum, but um, the kindergartners were learning about Benjamin Franklin. And so they had to write, are you ready for this? They were expected to write an introductory sentence, two detail sentences, and a conclusion sentence. That's what they're being tested on right now. Kindergartners. You might, as well, you might as well have the kindergartners go discover electricity or something. I, I Unbelievable. Just, no play. Oh, that and is... the, other, the other great thing is the kindergartners played on Tuesdays. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, I'm not even joking. They played on Tuesdays for 20 uh -huh. minutes. And they had to sit at their desk and they couldn't talk mm -hmm. to each other. And that's the play kids are getting in kindergarten. So that is just so, so bad. You know, this is so why bad. I yep. just play on a constant, disappearing. constant soapbox. The cognitive hypothesis is ruining uh, early childhood education. But we're not here today to talk about that. Yeah. We are here to talk today to talk about something quite positive. And <laughs> we are actually, guys, this is the book. Uh, again, if you're just joining, Co-Regulation Handbook. And we are reading chapter seven, eight. We're going to try to get through nine. We'll see. We don't usually do three chapters, but we're going to try to um, get through this awesome information. So I have to say, I took quite a few notes in chapter seven. And this, this chapter oh, is yeah. called Adjusting Complexity. And I really appreciate this, Linda, because you really talk about how, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, right? When you're trying to uh, use this idea of co-regulation uh, with young children, but how we can kind of uh, push through, right? And make mm -hmm. sure that um, we're adjusting the complexity to meet the child's needs. So on page 50, the very first page, oh, I don't even, I, good grief. Sorry, guys, I need to turn that off. Can you still hear me if I have my silent mode yep. on? Oh, mm -hmm. good. Yep, you're okay. good. 
my daughter's texting me and all sorts of stuff <laughs> yeah 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 I, um, hold on before before we start I saw there was some wedding dress shopping. I know. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. <gasps> she said yes oh, to the dress. She found it. And so, wow. yes. So we dropped some coin yesterday. So, <laughs> do you know but what's the date of her wedding? Not till June of 2023. Oh, so we so we're are okay. a long time to see the dress. <laughs> but we, well, yeah. Well, the reason is because everybody told us, like, if you have to order it, it because of COVID, everything's mm -hmm. taking so much longer. Oh. So we've heard all these horror stories about brides not getting their dresses in. So my daughter was like, let's just be pro. She's a planner like me, which I really appreciate. So nice. she's like, let's just go nice. get it taken care of. Nice. And so her future mother-in-law flew in and we all went shopping and drank a few mimosas and did some wedding dress shopping. So um, it was, it was a lot of fun. So we've got is the, she the first hurdle. of your children to get married. No, she is the second daughter. So uh, second after, daughter. This, after this, done with the weddings. I had one <laughs> wedding in 2019 okay. and now we have a wedding okay. in 2023. So um, yeah, so it's all good, but, um, so on very page, cool. yeah, very cool. On page 50, Linda, you talk about finding the sweet spot. And I have to say, you have a, you talk about a couple different terms here where you're referring to, we don't want children to be things that are so easy that they're bored, but you don't want them to be overwhelmed to the point where they just sort mm -hmm. of give up and say, I can't do this or it's too hard. So I like how you refer to, uh, well, well, Mike, you talked to us about zone, zone of proximal development. Is that something you're familiar with, Mike? Oh, it certainly is. I thought it's so. From, it's from the great Lev Vygotsky. Yes, I hear you so talk happy. about him. I was so happy you brought up Vygotsky. Yeah, he, I'm glad you pronounced famous. it because I always have yep. in my head, I'm not sure how to say that out loud. So I'm glad <laughs> oh, you yeah, said it Vygotsky, first. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, so he is the one, he is the famous psychologist who discovered the inner voice. How language, oh, as language, as language basically between the ages of five and seven, kids go from describing their world, all language is external, to eventually, just like all executive functions, mm -hmm. goes from external to internal. Pretty much every time I do my presentations, no matter, like I've been doing a lot of Zoom presentations for school districts, and I'm always doing this, external, internal, external, oh, internal. Love it. And it's the same thing with the voice. The voice is going from external to internal, and the same thing with executive functions. You're reliant mm -hmm. on the outside world and adults to becoming independent. So it's the exact same thing of everything, uh, you know, always being dependent on your world for motivation, dependent on your world for, uh, for uh, motivation, manual play, external to internal play. So everything is from external to internal. And that's really, uh, it goes hand in hand with this idea of Vygotsky, which is really uh, the levels of, so, so it's called the zone of proximal development. So where is your child in their development, basically in terms of their independence? And what are they able to accomplish uh, independently? And what do they need proximity to? Like, what do they need proximity to an adult, to a fully developed adult? Uh, what do they need? What are they able to do on their own? And what do they need an adult to be with them for? And this was such a helpful chapter for parents because it gives a lot of things for them to think about in terms of your space, your physical proximity, materials, all these different things to think about. So before you ask your, ask your child to do something or do a co-regulation based activity, you know, their pushback may not just be them being non-compliant. They may not be ready to do it on their own yet. Absolutely. And can I just mm -hmm. say that word non-compliant, like I'm so, that term, I think it gets used so much because there's an assumption that <clears throat> a child is choosing to do this, to, to refuse, right? It's refusal. The child is, is um, trying to be manipulative, is being non-compliant. And what I love so much about this chapter, Linda, is you explain that um, you know, this isn't necessarily a choice the child is making just to irritate mm -hmm. you, right? That's not, the child doesn't wake up in the morning and go, okay, what am I going to do to irritate my parent today? It's more of, <laughs> I'm not right. being mm -hmm. given a competent role. So therefore I'm pushing back because it's either too easy or it's too hard and I don't feel mm -hmm. successful. So along with a zone of proximal development, Linda, what's the term you use? It's edge of, where did I put, where is that? Edge of competence, yeah, edge right? Edge of competence. Yeah. So again, it's, well, and the thing that I feel is so important with co-regulation is to just know that this is dynamic. Oh. Like, you know, it's in the moment decisions of what that edge is for that child. What's their edge of competence at this moment in time, which might be different than what the edge of competence was yesterday when they did 
this thing for like so many different reasons. You know, we just go back to it could be they're they're tired or they're confused or um, they're you know maybe feeling anxious about something. So I think yeah, when I think about it, I like it because it it takes it off of the child and gives it to the adult. Like you can own this and read them in the moment to determine where that edge is, um, and you know you're either you are either too hard or too easy based on their, perhaps their self-regulation in the moment, right. you know, that right. fight, flight, freeze might kick in if it's too hard or they yep. might um, get distracted or lose interest if it's sure. too easy. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, for me, the important thing is like, it's, there's always, it's, di it's very dynamic in the moment yeah. decision-making, which we can control, you know, and think about. I love that living on yeah. the edge kind of thing. Like you just <laughs> want to be on the edge, right? You right. don't want to be too mm -hmm. easy, too hard. So I have to yeah. tell you, I wrote down two terms that I have used in my career for a long time now. And I just love how many different ways we can say the same thing. So healthy frustration is something Mike and I have talked about, I think in oh, previous yeah. books, um, child-sized adversity, meaning we don't want it to be, you know, and so I kind of think about that, you know, when you talk mm -hmm. about the edge of competence, right? We want there to be a yeah. little bit of frustration, but we certainly want it to be healthy frustration. We don't want right. to tell like a three-year-old, go put a fitted sheet on your bed, you know, because we mm -hmm. know that's not going to go over well, right? So we want to make sure that if they're helping make the bed, we're giving them a competent role, like maybe throwing the pillows, the throw pillows on, you know, at the end. So mm -hmm. I love that. But the other term that I have talked about a lot as an apraxia specialist is optimum challenge point. That's what I've always nice. called it, that we're looking for the optimum challenge point. Because when a child is struggling to find their voice, we don't want to uh, keep practicing, you know, uh, words that have been well rehearsed, that they are, you know, already uh, 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 saying um, uh, very uh, spontaneously and accurately. But we also don't want to, you know, throw multisyllabic words or, you know, uh, really complex phrases at them, because we want them to have success. So at the beginning of every speech, therapy session, I'm always like, okay, we have to, this is my uh, ongoing dynamic assessment that we do all throughout therapy is identifying the child's optimum challenge point. Yeah. So I just, I loved all the different ways that we can yeah. say the same thing. And so I just, I thought that was, that was really, really cool. And how amazing that um, zone of proximal development is really kind of the foundation of uh, um, executive functions. You know, I just, I love how this all Correct. just kind of ties together. It's, it's pretty awesome. So, um, so Linda, talk to us a little bit about then, um, I love how you divided this into the, you had the main elements of any process that adds complexity. And these are the things that the adult is in control of. So let's start with your space. What, what, mm -hmm. what do you mean by when we say, you know, you can control, um, your space? Yeah. And even just to give like one overview statement, like, yeah, these are all things that the adult at any given time can tweak or modify so that you get to that edge. Um, and I think when people, when things don't work, it's because we're putting too much on the child. So as soon as you realize like, okay, I can, I can play around with any of these elements to create competence. It gives us the power again, to just make good choices for that child to find the edge. So instead um, of saying the child's non-compliant, the child refuses, right. the child won't do this with me, the child right. hates non-preferred tasks, what we're now going to mm -hmm. say, thanks to Linda's book, is we're going to say, oh, but there are things we can tweak or modify in order right. to get the child to the edge of competence. So we're yeah. going to be, how many times do I do this? Like every week, guys, <laughs> the ebb and flow, right? That we're going right. to push, push, yep. push, but we're going to pull back once mm -hmm. we sense that maybe that this isn't a competent role for this child in this moment, right? right? And I love how you talk about dynamics. Yeah. So it's this ebb and flow. It's the dance of the relationship. And that's right. really what co-regulation is, kind of just in a, in a yep. nutshell. Yeah. And it's like we have to be flexible in that moment to make the adjustments to support the child to be competent so that they engage and stay engaged over time. And you can and before, get to those challenges. <laughs> and before you start, Linda, talking yeah. about these, I just love that you said we have to be flexible. Because yeah. how often right. do mm -hmm. we, as fully a grown adult with fully intact nervous systems, um, really strong executive right. functioning skills, how often do we as therapists document child is inflexible, child is rigid, child refuses right. to play it. with this toy in a different way, child refuses, child is noncompliant, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Right? We are saying that it is time to flip 
the mirror around and start looking at ourselves. Because right. what that means is we are not creating a safe, competent learning environment for this child. So the child is going into fight, flight, or freeze mode. We love to blame the student or blame the child and say they're overreacting or they're too rigid. The flexibility here is on us. That's where the mm -hmm. onus of responsibility is. And that's why I love when parents join us and parents listen, right? It's yeah. so important to recognize that it's our role, right? We have to be flexible. Yeah. And, and we keep using this word competence. We're using this word over and over. We're looking for competent roles. We're looking to bring kids to the edge of competence. That to me is what co-regulation is all about, mm -hmm. is bringing kids into your world, taking these new and challenging tasks that are at the edge of competence and creating these competent roles for them so they can add to their competence and their confidence. And their independence. And that's, and that's independence. That's yes. what independence is. The more competent you are, the more confident you are, the more independent you are. Absolutely. And when you do it based on relationships, partnerships over prompting. And when you focus mm -hmm. on relationships, that's exactly what you're doing. You're strengthening executive functions with interpersonal relationships and varied experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit space. about then, yeah, space. What do you mean yeah. by space? How do so, we control that? So anytime you engage a child, you have a decision and choice to make around your space. Are you going to be outside? Or are you going to be inside? Are you going to be at a table? Or are you going to be at the floor? Whatever space you're in, you also can control for the distractions, you know, give or take. So if I'm at the table, I have the choice before I bring that child to the table to decide whether the table has stuff on it or it's clear. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, and, and any proactive decision that we can make ahead of time to create a space that supports the child's attention and engagement just is really valuable. Absolutely. Um, and I just think, you know, where we, if we don't do that, we find ourselves saying he's not paying attention or they're not paying attention or stop playing with that toy. I'm talking to you. Whereas stop we have the choice, yeah. mm -hmm. so where we have the choice to just remove the toy before we engage mm -hmm. the child so that the, the key is before clear. though, right? right? It's about, to me, right. it's about preparation. I mean, yeah. to me, this is about, and this mm -hmm. is an executive function skill. You talk about foresight and hindsight. Okay. I already know what it is that my child is usually easily distracted by. So right. what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my foresight based on past experiences mm -hmm. and say, Beautiful. I'm not going to have the iPad and my phone sitting here on the table. I'm not going to have, you know, his hot wheels or whatever it is. I mean, if right. what we're going to be doing is, I don't know, um, making, you know, writing a thank you card to grandma for the birthday present or whatever it is, you mm -hmm. know, and we're looking for a competent role for our child. We have to prepare ahead of time. We are right. the adults, right? It is our job to use hindsight and foresight to really yeah. uh, plan that space. So yeah, I love and, it. And you're, also, and, and, and you're also using your hindsight to remember that last time I said, pay attention, put that away it led to an argument vortex. Sure. Totally. It led to back and forth and made yes. them more dysregulated. What can yes. I do now? How can I replace that verbal prompting to bring the family together and avoid that? Instead exactly. of what a lot of parents do is kind of just go with their natural instinct and you know talk about what they're doing wrong and bring mm -hmm. attention to what's, what is wrong instead of making it relationship-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and also, like, sometimes we do find ourselves in a situation where the child's distraction, distracted by something close by and we didn't see it ahead of time. Like, you can always mm -hmm. move stuff to the side. You can always pause what you're doing and say, oh, you know what, let me just move that over so that, you know, we can do what we're doing together. Or mm -hmm. I notice you're looking at your phone. Let me hold that for you and put it aside so we can focus on what we're doing together. Right, right, um, right. So it's dynamic. Like, you read that that attention in the moment, you notice they are, something is pulling their attention away. Um, so you can, you can just in that moment, tweak, modify, Absolutely. move it aside using declarative language. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is way better <laughs> than course. pay attention. Yes, exactly. Correct. Yeah. Correct. All mm -hmm. right, so the second one then is physical proximity. So you talk about how close are you to each other, you know, yeah. during this shared activity. Yeah, and I think just the newer the activity, um, or the newer the challenge, the closer you need to be, and that's okay. Um, but then as a child gains competence or independence, um, you're able to fade back naturally. Like these things happen naturally. I know in the book, an example I use is if you're doing a new math problem with a child, a new math concept. When you start, you're going to sit alongside them. You're going to support them to move through the steps. 
ensure their comprehension. But when you see that they've got it, you're going to say, okay, why don't you work on those two problems? And I'll come back in a couple of minutes. Yes. Yes. So you don't need to be right next to them, but no, like anytime that the child is struggling, you're, you being close to them is going to, is, it can be a really supportive tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to share a real life story. I often do with my son, Aaron, who is a teenager. <laughs> He's autistic and he has had, he got braces. Oh, several, I don't know, maybe eight, nine months ago. And just the past two weeks in the past two weeks, he got rubber bands put on. And I don't know if you've ever had kids or mm -hmm. if you've ever had braces with rubber bands. So when we talk about a competent role, um, in the beginning, the uh, orthodontist showed me and my husband how to get the rubber bands on after dinner at night. We have this little tool and, you know, um, she gave us two options. We can go straight up or what she'd really like is to make a triangle, which makes it even tighter to try to pull these teeth together. So um, right after he got him, uh, Jim or I after dinner would have to do it for him. You know, he was looking in the mirror but he just really struggles with body awareness, motor planning. And this is a really fine motor task. You have this little hook and you have to do it. And so um, in the morning though, uh, every morning when he gets up, he, um, he said, I think I can take him off by myself. So while nice. we needed very close proximity and, um, you know, tons mm -hmm. of assistance to get them on, he kind of decided in the moment, my competent role is I think I can take them off. So he's very regimented and he prefers consistency. So he always wakes up on school days at 6, 10 a.m. So he made the decision decision that he would start waking up at 6.08 a.m. so that he had time to take mm. off these rubber bands. So wow. he now gets nice. up two minutes earlier. Nice. But um, he, uh, so I was in Cheyenne all last week. And so when I got home, um, Aaron has informed me that he can now get, you know, uh, one of the hooks, you know, he can That's do one of them awesome. and then his dad just has to get the next one. So it's really neat for me to just see this again, playing out, you know, in my own life where I see Aaron becoming more competent, which means he's becoming yes. more confident, which means he's becoming yep. more independent. And so um, I really appreciate, you know, this, this, physical proximity because we're constantly yeah. you know backing off a little bit and giving him um that that uh, increased uh role you know uh, mm -hmm. increasing where the edge is if you will so yeah. it's been pretty transferring yeah. responsibility it yes. started yeah. with that partnership but you're able to you have already transferred quite a bit even within that routine to him because it. he felt confident at each step of the way needed yeah it. yep and that's a great story yeah. because that's exactly mm -hmm. how humans learn first yeah. we see we hold it in our working memory, uh -huh. there's a delay, and then we do. So first we see, and then we do. That's exactly how we learn. That's the best way to learn mm -hmm. is to be a part of something. So even though you and your husband were doing it for him, it mm -hmm. was still sort of a co-regulation activity of the three mm -hmm. of you doing it together. Yep. Yep. And then he yep. eventually felt confident that he saw it enough he had to watch you guys do it enough yeah. to, to the point where it stuck enough in his working memory that he was confident enough to do it. And then he was able to do it himself. And that's yeah. a competent role. So yeah. now he feels that confidence and has more of a identity around, you know, taking care of his mouth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love what it. What a good example. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So after we, um, you know, kind of start backing off, if you will, as the child starts to take mm -hmm. on more of a competent role, we back off on physical proximity. So the third thing you talk about is one of the things we can control, if you will, as adults is the materials. How many, mm -hmm. how many things are you actively using uh, at one time? So talk to us a little bit about that, Linda. So similar to space, it's just thinking about supporting the child's attention to, you know, the more stuff in your physical space or your visual field, um, the more potential distractions. And also if you just want them to learn uh, to be competent and maybe learn the pattern of what you're doing in its simplest form, less is more. Yes. Um, you know, so I think of like, I know I use, have used this example before, but say, say the game Candyland. So if, if everybody was playing and they each have their own figure and then there's cards on the board, that's just a lot of stuff. So, so if I simplify uh, materials for that, I just have one figurine and I might hold the cards rather than have them on the board. Where they can so, get spread out all over. Yeah, mm -hmm. so and I might give, um, like pull out one card at a time and that's mm -hmm. it and that's enough rather than piles of things. So it's just knowing that you can, you just start simple, less is more, few, few materials, but then when you see they're competent, you can easily add in more materials. Like that's such Absolutely. an easy add in. Um, but you want to start less so that they're competent and independent. I 
I love that. I love that. Yeah. So I have to tell you, I was looking to see, I don't even know where I have this, but many years ago I made a modified version of Candyland and I called it Colorland uh, because I work, mm. I tend to work with toddlers and preschoolers, very young kids mm -hmm. where Candyland is just to me overwhelming. I mean, it's just too long. It takes forever. You always get sent back. So I created when I use the Candyland cards, but just on a you know, I cut like a poster board, like in four. So it's only like this big. And I just, with markers, literally, you know, colored um, all the four different colors and made a short path. And um, I just pulled out uh, maybe 10 or 12 of the Candy Lane cards, maybe 15, ma making sure I didn't have any of the doubles. Like I really, because this is a shorter game, you know? So I used the same characters from the Candy Lane game and pulled out a handful of cards. But now we're talking a game that takes maybe three to five minutes instead of, you know, 15 minutes. And so for mm -hmm. kids who are just learning turn tape, making um, and things like that. Uh, for me, it's always been about how do you modify a game? How do you modify an existing mm -hmm. toy or activity so that the child can, now I have the term, have a competent role instead mm -hmm. of getting frustrated and, you know, hitting the cards off and saying, I hate this dumb game. I wanted to win, you know, whatever it is when they're first starting. So um, I, I love that idea of materials. Less is more. Um, you know, one of the things I always coach parents on if their child isn't playing with their toys. Sometimes I walk into the, the home and it looks like Toys R Us has exploded yep. in the living room. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Mm -hmm. And while I have a lot of toys for, I mean, my kids and someday my future grandkids, um, I would never allow any child to play with them all at one time. Like I love storing toys in one room of the house. And then every morning yep. I encourage parents to bring three, maybe four toys out and set them, kind of spread them out on the living room floor. And then just allow your child to see, you know, kind of explore and gravitate toward one. And then you'll know which one they're interested in. So um, mm -hmm. I think less is more always when it comes to uh, uh, teaching children new skills, and that includes play. So um, toy yep. rotation is important. That's why I don't mind mm -hmm. a lot of toys if, you know, that's the case. But not all toys should be available at any one time. That is right. the biggest problem that I see in general with, with young children. Mike, I'm sure you can uh, express oh, yeah. that since you have a one-year-old at home. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is something that I've heard a lot as a new parent is in terms of, uh, you know, too many toys can be overwhelming to them, even though half of them came from you. So, I know. But she has so many, so many toys and so much to choose from. But you start to see her picking out favorites. Yep. But it, but you know, it, this is we, we always know how important play is to young kids. But you know, so so. So we don't really ask why. Why is play so important? Why? Why? You know, a big part of it is the ability to use your imagination and play with things in different ways. Instead of playing with one toy, getting bored, going to the next, you know, instead of the, instead of the cars going on the track, let's have the cars go up. Let's have the cars fly. Let's have the cars twist. You know, mm -hmm. using your imagination to visualize and try new things and use trial and error and do mental play with manual play is what's so important for play. Uh, and we talk about play being so important because play is the foundation of the mental play. And when we are able to decrease the amount of materials, we're decreasing the expectations on the child and the visual field. Remember with... Uh, we, we were with declarative language, we were talking about the visual field and what's in front of them. And that's mm -hmm. exact visual referencing. And that's exactly what it is. It's less things to visual reference. So one specific thing can get your attention. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. And Linda, on page 54, under this same thing of, of, you know, the quantity of materials, you said, I love this in bold. It says, if you hear yourself saying, pay attention again and again, chances are you have too many <laughs> yep. materials. So I thought that you was really that right. spectacular. Mm -hmm. So parents, therapists, if you're out there and you're listening to this, mm -hmm. if you find yourself saying, pay attention, right. hey, pay attention, right. focus on this. You need to focus, pay attention. Uh, let's start really... Um, you know, looking at the environment and seeing how we can mm -hmm. reduce all those distractions. Right, because it's not a confident role for them. Yeah. Yes. Never say that phrase. Let's, never. Let's eliminate that phrase completely mm -hmm. from all yeah. parenting, from all schools. Pay attention. Pay attention does mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Use declarative language. Use different ways to bring the kids into your focus. P saying pay attention uh, is completely useless, especially for younger kids, elementary age, middle school, even high school age. Mm -hmm. It's such a useless phrase. And it's kind of like the word no to a toddler. They hear it so much. Don't you think they just stop like really processing it? You know, if a teacher or a parent is constantly saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. It's almost yeah. their but cue to just... Is such an, attention to kids is such an abstract thing. It you is know, we as adults, We as adults know we have to pay attention to our responsibilities because we have so much on our shoulders. 
for kids, it's all about, you know, seeing things for the first time, trying things for the first time, uh, figuring things out. And you, mm -hmm. you don't really have that much responsibility as the adult. We're telling the kids to pay attention. You know, that's like, it's like speaking like a different language to them. They don't, they don't yeah. understand. And we're what expecting them means. to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. That's not yeah. going to change their behavior. You have to, right. you know, use one of those I wonder phrases, uh, you mm -hmm. know, join them, get closer to them with proximity, find different ways to see what they're focusing on and then bring them into your world. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Or if you, if there is something that you want to guide their attention towards, like be more specific so that they can of get course. in the ballpark at least. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. The next one, Linda, is decision-making opportunities. Talk to us yeah. about how you can I saw you this. both would like this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think this is one, I think this is really fun because you might not always think about it, but when you're engaged in an activity, um, you know, there are so many moment to moment decisions that we make about anything, like what order should we do this? What color should I do? How much should I, how long should I stir this batter if we're cooking together? Um, and, and it's fun when you start to notice the decisions that you make within a routine and start to think about ones that you could maybe give the child an opportunity to decide. Um, so say, for example, you're cooking and maybe the order of ingredients doesn't matter and you typically just lead the way, you could fade back and say, hey, you know, I wonder which one we could, we could add next. Mm -hmm. And then you're transferring that decision making opportunity to the child, which, um, you know, which just is such an important skill. We're constantly making decisions in life, small decisions that we yep. don't ever even talk about or making appraisals about about things um, constantly. So when you start to notice the decisions that you make and wonder like, ooh, is this one that I could maybe give to the child? Um, like a more concrete example might be if you're putting books together on the shelf and initially you keep it tight so that it's successful and the roles are um, competent, like you, you hand a book to the child and they put it on the shelf or maybe you guide them on where to put it on the shelf at first so it's competent, but then as you fade back, you might say, oh, I wonder if you think, if you'd like to put this one on the top shelf or the bottom shelf, and it's a decision that could be okay for them to make. Or I wonder which book um, we should add next to the bookshelf, whereas before maybe you were holding on to that decision to ensure the flow was successful and competent. So I so love your yeah. example of cooking, making, <laughs> oh, yeah. making cooking a co-regulation activity. So with cooking, you guide your child to follow a recipe in terms of how much salt to add. So mm -hmm. like the, the child is only in charge of the salt and they're able to sprinkle it on and everything. Their cooking is quite possibly one of the best for mm -hmm. preparing food, following a recipe, you know, making pancakes in the morning, whatever it may be, making lunch specifically for your child. Cooking might be the most optimal we were talking about optimal before co-regulation activity within the home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking um, back in the chapter on executive function, co-regulation and executive function, I talk about this teenager and his parents were teaching him how to make scrambled eggs. So initially the competent roles were just that um, he would pour the eggs in the pan or maybe move them, but yeah. it wasn't yet how do you know when they're done? Because that wasn't yet a competent role for him. Yep. But over time, yep. as his mom modeled it, you know, she could fade back and let him decide when the eggs were done. Um, so, but it's subjective and it's appraisal. And you can start so, so you can start so small. You can literally mm -hmm. open the fridge and say, "Show me where the eggs are," mm -hmm. and that's it. The, the kid's role is to point the, point at the eggs, and that's it. The parent does yep. the rest but yep. you brought the child right. into the process. Totally. Yeah. The I just have to say, <laughs> as a parent of an autistic child, this yeah. is where there is some struggle. And I don't know if there's any other parents listening, but mm -hmm. my son lacks the intrinsic motivation to become more independent with a lot of things. So like with some things like his braces, I see it, right? But when it comes to things like cooking, he has a zero interest in like participating. So for me, um, it's always trying to figure out, okay, what would he be more interested in? So maybe I don't give him the choice to help me. It's 
I need your help tonight. Do you want to help me make brownies or cookies? Because those are things he actually cares a lot about. But like uh -huh. if I ask him to help me make a grilled cheese sandwich, he would have no interest. And in fact, it mm -hmm. might lead to a meltdown, which I'm still trying. I'm still struggling with because I would love for him to be more independent. But for some reason, there are certain things. And I think I'm narrowing it down to he's always been afraid of fire. And I will tell you this stems from the yeah. Toy Story 3 movie where they all they throw um, into the incinerator. I don't know if you remember that movie. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was the third yeah. episode. Yeah. He, mm -hmm. I don't know how old he was, six, seven, eight years old. And he was so traumatized by that that um, wow. he has ever since then been so afraid of fire. So he hates mm -hmm. candles. He hates our fire pit. I mean, he hates anything. So I, this is my like trying to analyze, but I'm like, I wonder if cooking some things like on the stove, he associates it with hot totally. fire. I don't know. Yeah. So this is where just so, just so if there's any parents on here going, well, this sounds great, but I can't get my kid motivated to want to do it. I'm there with you. Like it all sounds mm -hmm. good in theory, but just know you may have to, um, you know, say, I need your help with, right. And then mm -hmm. let the child choose which role mm -hmm. in that activity is the competent one for, yeah. for him at that time. Hmm. And grilled cheese is something what, what, he eats, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting because he will yeah. make like cookies, but not, he doesn't want to do the whole, like, let's stir right. it and pour chocolate chips. He wants to buy the, the cookies that are already pre-baked and all I have to do mm -hmm. is, is score them, you know, and put them on a pan and stick them in. He's mm -hmm. like, that's the kind of cook and I yeah. want yeah. to do. So okay. I just have struggled because there are some things he's super interested in becoming more independent with. Yeah. And there are others where he is like, like driving. I mean, he's 17. He's like, no, I might drive when I'm 25. Like that's what he's been saying for years. 25. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to talk about it until he's 25. He doesn't want to, you know, so there, I, I Would think he stand there anxiety. and watch you? Would he just stand um, there and watch you cook? If I asked him to, but it wouldn't be a choice. You know what I mean? If I said it'd mean a lot to mm -hmm. me if you'd stand here and watch me. But um, yeah, so I'm, I just want parents to know that, you know, there are some things um, that maybe sound good in theory and, you know, we're just still working through them. But so yeah. I just kind of wanted to share And you're that. following his his lead. You know, you're mm -hmm. going to go with the, like yeah. if cooking is something you're going to try, you're going to start with the things that are interesting. He's most him. interested. Yeah. 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 And with yeah. the grilled and you can cheese, it might to, be. Find a way yeah. to pull a preferred task into it. Like stand yeah. here and just like, I, I'm going to cook, but stand here and watch me. And while you watch me, let's discuss the next couple of animal posts we'll do on my You know, oh, that's good. Or, that's you know actually I mean? really good. You know yeah. what? The other thing would be a competent role for him is setting mm -hmm. the timer. He's really all into like yeah. time. And so if so he like had that. to read the, the mm -hmm. recipe and see how long to cook it or whatever, and then set the microwave timer, like he would actually, so see, I just need to think through that. That's where sometimes like having a conversation, like, oh, I don't know how to find that competent role. My, my, my child isn't interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, he loves, yeah. We sat down, um, today after school, cause I'd been gone for a week and we watched, um, Turning Red. It's the new Pixar movie that just came out on Disney Plus just a few days ago. So we watched it together. So as soon as we're, we were done, he said, Mom, we need to do a post and teach your people about red pandas. So oh, that's what we awesome. did tonight together there because he had red panda on the brain. So yeah. we Beautiful. did our post. Yeah, on and red that's pandas. become such a confident role for him now is to be he that educator yeah. on your Instagram. Yep. So that's he calls you yeah. guys. Really like, <laughs> your people. There you go. Mom, I need to teach right. your people. That's what he always says. So, I like um, it. So I, like I it. was that's thinking too. Carrie, one other thing is just like making grilled cheese. He doesn't have to be there for the whole thing. He could just oh. be the the bread butterer, and uh -huh. that's it. And then he can. That's be a on good his point. Way. And then he can be on his way. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's a really good uh -huh. point. So, yeah. so it doesn't have to always be the whole thing. It can just be a portion that you think will be successful and competent. That's a good point. I'm so, going to work on that because that's one yeah. area where I'm like, I really feel he's taking a culinary class um, his senior year where they actually work on cooking, and I'm like, it's going to be a nightmare because the kid hates everything related to cooking. Yeah. So I really want to kind of start, you know, just, I don't know, moving into that realm a little bit because I'd like him to have yeah. success in school, not having him, you know, um, be miserable. So that's something yeah. I'm going to focus on. And you love okay. to cook, right? I think I've, I oh, no. hate you hate to cook. And that's, I, you know what? I was like, maybe because of co-regulation, he senses how much I hate cooking. Oh I gosh. wish I loved to cook. I would rather clean, I would rather clean your toilets than cook oh. something. I don't know what it is. Wow. I have okay. never been, my mom right. is a phenomenal cook. And growing mm -hmm. up, she just did it. I never like was in the kitchen. I never helped. And I think that's why, because she was just so good. She was just, she loved to cook. So she did it all. Yeah. And so since I never, 
never grew up doing it. I think I just never, I don't know. I never got the bug, but I, I don't, do not. I don't like to cook either. I'm not a We're cook. twins. I'm not the only one. People think I'm crazy when I say you cook all clean. I would rather do all your dishes. Uh -huh. I would rather scrub your kitchen floor. I just don't want to cook. So now y'all yeah. know about my, my thing. Like so, I pretty much make grilled cheese and that's it. Yep. So. That's about it. Go. All right. So decision-making yeah. opportunities. So we can have kids decide mm -hmm. what do you need to do next? What order? How much? How long? How far? How hard? I love all that. Mm -hmm. Right. So your fancy word for that. I really like your fancy word appraisal. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's another word yep. for these fluid. I love your description. Moment to moment judgments that can be big or small. So yeah. I really, I really appreciate one that. other term. I can't remember if I wrote it in there, but another one that's just great to kind of have in your back, back pocket is good enough. Um, because, you know, again, like as we make decisions constantly, we in our head and our subjective mind know when good enough is okay. Mm. Whereas our black and white thinkers, they don't necessarily have good enough in their back pocket and they feel you know maybe they feel like it has to be perfect or complete but in reality so good. like good enough is good enough most of the time you know so that's, that's a word really good i use a lot and just but you don't have to do it perfectly you know what i mean yeah. it's just mm -hmm. let's just do it yep. so it's good enough which means we can yeah. move on to the next step yeah. right good yeah good enough for now it's good, good enough, enough for right. now yeah. i think i'm that's my new favorite term and that's because, modeling flexibility yeah oh. Yeah, I'm crazy. Like, like the Especially scrambled eggs, it's good thinkers. enough. Yeah, and that's yeah. a term like RDI. That's where I've I've gotten that term from. So, okay. but it's okay. so helpful. And huh. You use it constantly. It's in your head all the time, and you just say it out loud. See, I think about With some kids. of those kids, like yeah. when they're learning to color, like you know, mm -hmm. and maybe they get upset because they colored outside yeah. the line. You can say, but it's good enough. I mean, it's good enough yep. to be done with our work. Now we can go outside right. and play or whatever. You know, right. So, I really like that. Yeah, and the appraisal for kids too is sometimes like your best work is expected, but sometimes good enough is okay. Um, and enough helping them okay. appreciate the differences when well, their isn't best that true is expected. For us too? Yeah, I mean, as a yeah, therapist, yeah. sometimes we mm -hmm. write really spectacular progress notes, you right. know, or whatever. And sometimes we just write a decent progress note that's good enough. We're like, well, right. I could put more effort to it into it, but for now, this one's good enough because this isn't mm -hmm. a three-month progress note. This is just a daily, you know, whatever. So. I really right. like that. That's, yeah. that's something I need that's to really work good. more on. Yeah. Good enough. When good is enough. when it's good enough. Okay. So the next one then is language, you know, and I love how you say with an exclamation point, think about what you are saying. Um, and so meeting the child where they're at is what I kept mm -hmm. as, as I was reading this section is meeting them where they're at instead of, you know, where you expect them to be based on their age or their cognitive right. ability. So yeah, talk to us, Linda, what do you want to, what do you want to yeah. share with us about And language? I think, you know, we talked a lot about language in the past with declarative language and all that, but it's just really knowing, um, you know, the complexity don't, don't talk with too much complexity, um, you know, keep your your sentences at a at a level that the child can process and understand. Part of it is knowing when not to talk and just being quiet sometimes, so they can process what you've said. Um, knowing that you know if it, it if it is a child that you can use more complex language with, that's great. Go for it. Get abstract. But sometimes you might need to translate that abstract language in the moment yes. um, rather than assume that they know. But these are all great teaching opportunities. So just knowing like how much you're talking um, is something that the child has to process. And you can scale back, you can scale it up based on their competence, edge of competence in the moment. I, I love that. I will yeah. just say this is one of my, you know, I've been saying this for years that I think as SLPs, sometimes we talk too much because we have really been mm -hmm. trained to narrate the life of the child as it is unfolding in front of them. So I, I think that most SLPs, we have an illness and it's called verbal diarrhea. We talk <laughs> and we talk and we talk, 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 talk mm -hmm. with this expectation that language modeling is going to somehow, you know, be supportive. And for many kids, it is. But for some of our kids who need some silence to process and they just mm -hmm. need some think time that I think, and, and I actually wrote before I even read your sentence at the end of page 57, you said silence is an important and underrated tool. And before I'd even read that, I'd written along mm -hmm. the side, silence, silence, because mm -hmm. that's a strategy no one taught me in grad school, but I would argue it has been the most powerful strategy is yeah. saying something and then pausing and giving the child a chance to first process. I think we do not give enough process time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when a child doesn't respond right away, what the adult does is repeats it 
with like louder and yep. with more emphasis. Yep. So, you know, yep. um, put your cup in the sink. Hey, put your cup in the sink. Buddy, mm -hmm. did you hear me? And you know, it's like, he's not, you know, we're not, yep. like, what are we mm -hmm. screaming at him for? Yep. And now we're getting um, upset. The child now is going to match our level of, you know, regulation. Yep. And so everything starts to escalate. And yeah. so that pause is, I, I truly believe silence um, is, is, I agree with you, underrated yeah. tool. Yep. I say that too all the time. Like nobody ever, you know, going to grad school to learn to be a speech therapist, nobody told me to be quiet. I know. Everybody <laughs> or, said or, talk more, yeah. talk yeah. more, be yeah. a sportscaster, be a so newscaster, important. you know, mm -hmm. yeah. narrate yeah. everything the child is doing and, and give, you know, we tend to give a lot of directions and ask a lot of test-like questions. And I'm telling you, those are the things I actually recommend we do less of now that I've yeah. uh, been yeah. in the field for a while. The other I thing I'll I actually learned that a lot in AAC, like when, oh. you're, when you're teaching a child mm -hmm. AAC, see the importance of the pause mm -hmm. with helping them to navigate the device and feel sure. comfortable with the device. Sure. And then the mm -hmm. more you're actually in the field and out of academia, you realize just how important that is with all students, yep. regardless of whether it's AAC, expressive, receptive, yep. literacy, behavior, whatever yep. it may be. Because in that pause is their ability to process language and yeah. it's all internal. And we're so used to everything being instant. Don't but one of you the, say that? The power of the pause. Yeah. Who says that? The Don't power of the pause. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. you, Mike? I was going to say somebody, I learned that phrase, that alliterative phrase, power of the pause. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, um, it was one of us. Definitely. I think mm -hmm. so. Page 57, Linda, the other thing that I wrote down where you talked about abstract language, you know, and making sure you don't like say like it's raining mm -hmm. cats and dogs, or if you do, mm -hmm. you might need to explain what that means. So I had written down on the side idioms, Aaron, my son, because my son is still, he really wants to figure idioms out. I actually have a really great book that I got off Amazon on idioms and it's phenomenal because it's visual. So it shows, um, I think I probably mentioned it before. Sometimes I'm going to get it out and show you guys, but I love it because he loves learning about idioms. And so now one of his most common things that he will ask in a day is, is that literal or non-literal mom? Oh, so if I say good. something and he doesn't understand <laughs> nice. it, uh -huh. he's wondering, well, maybe this is abstract. So he actually nice. asks, it's a, it's a strategy, a compensatory strategy, strategy that he's come up with. Um, is that literal or non-literal? I'll be like, Oh, that's literal. And he'll go, Oh, or if I say, no, that's non-literal, like there's no way it could weigh a thousand pounds. I couldn't lift it if I weighed a thousand pounds. And he's like, oh, and you can see him trying to process. So for him, everything people say in his mind, it's literal, right? So mm -hmm. him trying to figure out abstract language has been a big one. But like you said, Linda, also these are teaching opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we never want to use language that's a little bit above where they are, right? We right. kind of want to, because at times we want there to be that, that push mm -hmm. to learn new things. So yeah, I continue yeah. to, I mean, gosh, he's 17 years old and I feel like I still just am learning about his language acquisition process. And, you know, as a speech yep. language pathologist, I'm like, I definitely am the first to say, I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. And then number six, is this the last one? I think maybe it is. I think the number, so. the number of people talk to us about that, Linda. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know that people think about this, but the more people in an interaction, the more information there is to process. So that's why peer interaction gets tricky because there's there's more language, there's more agendas, there's more uh, perspectives to consider, there's more decisions to make. It just gets complex fast as soon as you add um, another person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm like even like, you know, you've been so kind having me join you, but I know the dynamic with me here is different than when it's just the two of you. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, yeah, and just, there's just more information. So just to know adding a third person or a fourth person in is a big deal, you know, when you're thinking about competence and that you don't necessarily want to add in that third, that fourth person, if it's yeah. going to make it harder for the child. Um, and I even think sometimes about parents, parents or caregivers, um, like if there's two caregivers talking to a child versus one, it's totally different. Yep. And, you know, I mentioned this in the book, if, if there's two of you talking to the child, make sure that you are mindful of um, not talking at the same time, because then there's just more information coming in. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Or if you are talking, make, making sure also that you're communicating a similar or same message so that it's mm -hmm. not confusing to the child. Right, we just want to have right. each other's back, be on the same page, balance that silence and speaking time. Um, because yeah, just as, as you add in 
each new person that you add in, it gets more complex across all the you know, areas. That's really fascinating. Again, yeah. I look back in my own life with my son and things that I don't know that I did intentionally, but they seemed like maybe at the time I just thought this is just common sense. But um, when we started playing games with Aaron, he did not do well if the whole family played. He did better with games where it was two people games, yeah. you know, where it was just two of mm -hmm. us. And so there was only one person trying to explain the rules to him and only he only had to wait for one person to go. Whereas if you're playing with four people, you have to sit and wait until, you know, so mm -hmm. when I think back, I'm like, that's probably why we had so much success with initial game playing with him because we yeah. started with those two person games and then, you know, gradually worked up to maybe three people and then four. And now he can play a game where grandma comes over and it's all five mm -hmm. of us. There could be six, Allie's fiance, there's seven of us. And I mean, the fact that he can sit and do that, I just, I'm serious. It's mind blowing to me, but it took yeah. 17 years to get there but he can do it now. And he has that ability to wait and to, um, you know, uh, a joining conversation and yet remember the rules of the game simultaneously. And it's been, it's right. been powerful in case you're new to this, just know that we're all big proponents of using games to build executive function mm -hmm. skills. So, uh, uh, lots and lots of, uh, board games and card games that, uh, teach kind of some of those, those powerful skills. Yeah. So, um, and just to add to that. So sometimes when we, when we have, um, social pragmatics groups, or peer groups for kids like one of the first decisions we make are what's the just right number of kids in a group for this child and mm. some kids we start in a dyad with, which is just two children because that's just right for their processing um you know that will keep them most competent and then as they gain in their skills or their attentional capacity or their decision making ability um you know maybe three or four kids in a group is just right but but for some kids, two kids is perfect yep. because you can yep. manage the pace. You can you can um, help give them time to process information where, yep. you know, just more kids is more information coming in fast. And that's why yep. peer interaction can be tricky. So we have when yeah. good enough is okay and we need to figure out the just right number of people. I like those yeah. little phrases, good enough and just, just right. right. Yep. I think mm -hmm. those are, like those are really powerful. So real quickly then, um, uh, chapter eight, you kind of talked about pacing and mm -hmm. I feel like this, you know, we kind of, didn't we talk about this in the other book too? It seemed like we had yeah. a whole chapter kind yep. of yep. on yep. pacing. And yeah. so I, I would really like to kind of buzz through this pretty quickly and then have you share with us um, that you have some really interesting points in chapter chapter nine, but I love in this chapter, just on page 63, you talk mm -hmm. about creating that rich feedback loop. We're doing mm -hmm. this together. So I have a role, you have a role. I need to make sure you understand your role, that it's a competent role. And my goal is to scaffold and help you be able to assume your role. Mm -hmm. So um, what else, anything you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah. And I guess the difference with declarative language when you're, when you're waiting or pacing yourself it's so they can process with co-regulation you're waiting for them to assume their role ah. um, and so so for example you're handing them a book to put on a shelf you're going to hold it there and wait for them to notice and then take their role um, so it's not just about the the words that you're using but it's the processing time to to notice the context and assume their role. Assume their role. Yeah. Assume um, the position. Yes, I love it. I love it. Assume yeah. your role. Um, and then uh, the flip side, if you want me to get into the limit setting part yeah, of it. Yeah. So, so pacing is when, when I think about pacing, it's when I need to slow down to give them time to notice and assume their role. But sometimes uh, um, kids enjoy being in control of all of the process and what you're working oh. on is supporting them to feel comfortable including somebody or including mm. the contributions of another person. So kids might want to build the train track all by themselves. So they're competent in that. But what you're working on is the co-regulation piece, which is helping them feel comfortable including you in the process. I love it. Is that a prerequisite to almost sharing? I mean, do you think about uh -oh, that? Like, probably, I mean, yeah. You know, I've never yeah, it, yeah. Mm -hmm. But like or, taking yeah. a turn and doing it mm -hmm. together that I don't, because right. you hear little kids, you know, since I work with the little ones, you know, me do it, me do it. You know, yeah. it's always, I want to do it, I do it. Yeah, you do it and then I'll have a turn. You know, it's that yeah. idea that we can take turns and share the responsibility. Right. So, oh, you get to do X and I'm going to do Y. Right. So you pour in the milk and I'll pour in the chocolate chips, whatever, yeah. this idea that we're going to each have a competent role 
Because you're right. Otherwise, there are some kids. I would say all kids do this at some point. Mm -hmm. They assume both roles. They're just exactly. going to take over yep. and do it. Right. So that's actually a limitation then, isn't it? Yeah. And that's where you want to work the other way a little bit and support them to feel comfortable including you. But that's more limit setting. So their pace is too fast and they've left you behind. Oh. <laughs> so then you might say something. If you've established the roles using declarative language, um, then you'd say they, if, when they assume your role, you might say, oh, I was the, um, you know, train track person. That was my uh -huh. job. And you give them a chance to process that language and then pause and then repair, make that repair on their own. Yep. And that's um, that partnership. Yeah. Or as Ellen here said, teamwork, yep. mm -hmm. a lot of yep. words, yep. you know, that fit yeah. in there, but we're partnering together. We're doing right. this together. We're a team. Yeah. Right. I love that. Um, Cause it is co-regulation, right? Right. And I'll just <laughs> right. give the example, like on both sides, the one that I gave in the book is where Judy and Christopher were carrying a bag together. So they each had one handle of a beach bag or something. And so they're walking down the hallway, each holding a handle and Christopher let go of his handle and just kept walking. So this is pacing where she stopped where she was and she said, oh, Christopher, I think she even just waited for him to notice they were no longer together. He paused, he turned around and she said, oh, you, you dropped your handle. And then he came back, picked up his handle and they continued walking on together. So that's where she um, paused so that he could notice he let go of his role. But the contrast would be, imagine they were carrying it together and he took both handles. Then she could say something like, Christopher, mm -hmm. I wanted to take one handle. And oh, then he okay. could let go of one so that she could take the other. So then it was balanced. So it can kind of go either way, right? Where sometimes the child assumes sure. your role and you want to support them to get that balance by letting go a little bit. Or we're taking too much or going too fast and we want to let go so that they can assume a bit more. That makes sense. So yeah. Wow. Nice. That would be the Both limit ways. setting. Yeah. Both ways. Limit Both setting. ways. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. You're just kind of doing a little self-advocacy for yourself with in oh, that. Well, you just used a huge word. I mean, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding me? Yep. Self-advocacy. Yeah. yeah. I love mm -hmm. that. Okay. Yeah, that that's beautiful. All right. And then chapter nine. Um, mm -hmm. I like that you you seem to do this. I think you did this in the other book too, is kind of some troubleshooting tips. So what happens when, you know, it's it's not kind of going as you you thought it should. You're trying to establish this co-regulatory pattern and it's it's not working. So um, how do you recommend that, that parents, therapists, mm -hmm. educators, everybody kind of uh, use these troubleshooting tips? Yeah, I mean, I think for co-regulation, the crux is that if it's not working, then you have to take a step back and think about if the role that you assign right. to the child is competent for them. Like, is it competent? And if you do feel like it, it is competent, do they understand what it is? Did you mm -hmm. explain it clearly enough? And it always is going to come back to competence. Okay. Um, sometimes we're just asking to, them to do something that's a little bit too hard. But sometimes, you know, it might be the other side where it's too easy and they're bored. So it's boring. So yeah. they're kind of like checking out because it's not quite challenging enough. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, that's the crux of it is just think sure. about just stop in your text and say, is this competent for this child at this moment in time? So if you've um, decided it is competent and mm -hmm. you get a big fat no, you get a child who's <laughs> not participating, then on page 71, right. you talk about scaffolding. Mm -hmm. So why don't you share, it looks like there's seven kind of, I don't know, repair tips, if you will, or ways that you would scaffold to um, kind of troubleshoot when things aren't going as expected. So yeah, um, yeah. talk to us about scaffolding. So sometimes you, some of them we've have talked about because they're similar to the declarative language troubleshooting tips, but it might be that you want to wait a little bit longer for processing time. Um, sometimes you just might need to guide a little bit more. So, so break down what it is that you're wanting them to do a little bit more with a guiding statement. Um, so say you say, hey, we're beach bag carriers together. So you're inviting them for that competent role, but then they don't do anything. Then you would break it down further by saying, that means I'll take the left handle and oh. you can take the right handle. So you're just explaining it a bit more with declarative okay. language. So using okay. a further guiding statement to explain what you mean. 
On page 72, um, I like the mm -hmm. phrases you use, Linda. I'm waiting for you, or I can't do this without you, or yeah. I'm wondering if you're ready yet. Those are some mm -hmm. nice examples of ways where you might just kind of give a little, I would call it like a little nudge, like, okay, right. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. this is a thing where we're partnering, we're, we're a team right. here, and you're not kind of holding up your end of the, of the teamwork right. or the bargain here. Yeah. And it's so important because you really, you want to give the child the authentic message that you need them. Like if you, mm. if yep. you keep going yep. on, after they didn't assume their role, then you're giving the message that you don't really need them. Oh, so I see. Waiting you is if you really just take powerful. over. Yeah. 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 So waiting's really powerful. And it's also and that. it's also in the tone you say mm -hmm. it. Instead of being like, I yeah. can't do this without you, like I like I can't do this without you. I need you. Yeah. Come help me. Yeah. Like you know, right. like, like the playful right. tone that you're explaining it to them. Yeah. That's so true, Mike, because it yeah. would be easy to be infantilizing a little bit and be like, yeah. you know, or making fun of them almost like they know mm -hmm. you can carry that bag without them. You know what well, I mean? Of but I, right. I make you it know, fun. but if you're make saying it, it in an authentic way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And what's next? Um, so sometimes you can model for them what it is that you want them to do again. Yeah. Yep. So again, if they're just, they might be confident, but they might feel unsure of what it is that you want. It can mm -hmm. really help them feel better if you show them, show them. So it could be here. I'll show you what that looks like. I'll do it first and then you oh. can do it after me. Something like mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, tighter partnership. So this can be helpful, especially when kids are doing something new. Um, and they're just not yet comfortable. They're not comfortable yet joining. So okay. I might say, you know what, we can be partners. You can watch and I'll go first. And when you're, when you're ready, you can join in. Um, so I think like that one's especially helpful for me a lot of the I time. I think that's where games. I'm going to start mm -hmm. with Aaron and cooking is yeah. if you could just watch me make the grill, because he's yep. going to watch mm -hmm. me just make watch. the grilled cheese. You right. know, he just, just magically right. shows up on yep. his plate. So I think that's where right. I'm going to start is I know you, you may yep. not be ready to help me yet, but you yep. watch me. Mm -hmm. and 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 let's talk about maybe the steps but you right. just watch and i'll do it right. i wouldn't right. even talk right. about the steps yet the very mm -hmm. first time he just watches, let him watch talk about something talk about something that he loves so talk mm -hmm. about a preferred task and then mm -hmm. have him keep watching talk about animals talk about nascar mm -hmm. talk about mm -hmm. the olympics and then you know my son goes, so well <laughs> as, as, time go, as time goes on have yeah. him observe and then be oh did you see what i just did there like bring it along slowly i love it I that's what i'm gonna do, do. Think i, I have this? a mission yep. i am so he excited needs, he needs to feel some sort of control and if he's yeah. controlling the topics you know the, yeah. and and it's also it's not even just control it's 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 having that reciprocity well he feels like if you're doing all the cooking and he's watching you're doing everything he's doing nothing when mm. he feels 50 50 well that's competent role though right linda yeah, that's exactly go. what yep. this is is what yeah. is his got it. next week is spring break so he's going to be home all week and i actually do not travel next week which is a miracle so i'm thinking <laughs> that that i'm just you know that's going to be a thing maybe at lunch we you know we can talk and i can make lunch and he can just observe and yeah there you go because yeah. mm -hmm. when his sisters come over sometimes they make him do things and he gets upset with them <laughs> because they haven't thought about his competent role. So they make him do it, but it's five steps of head ahead yeah. of what his competent role is. So he gets angry mm -hmm. with them and upset with them. And then he says, I don't want them to help me cook anymore. Or, you know, cause they always mm -hmm. try to make him do everything. So that makes a lot of sense because I think they're too far ahead of where he is. Mm -hmm. So mm, this is good. There stuff. You go. This yeah. is good stuff. Mm, love it. Love it. All right. Number five, you talk about adding a, a gesture, right? Mm -hmm. Are we there? Or are we on create a tighter partner? So no. well, yeah. that's, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, right, what gesture, we just yeah. talked about. Yeah. Yep. So add so a just, gesture. Yeah. Using a gesture. And we've talked about this with declarative language too, yep. but just using nonverbal communication to support comprehension in the moment. Yep. Um, love declarative it. language. So if I go on to the next one, I think mm -hmm. it said to just to read the context in the moment. Um, so I think the example that I use um, in this one is imagine you are, so again, it's just using um, your language along the way to support the child to maintain competence, be successful. So say for example, you're pushing a shopping cart together um, and you want to support the child to maintain competence as they go down the aisle with other people, you might use declarative language to help them plan ahead. Like, oh, I see someone's up ahead. How about if we steer it a little bit to the left so that we can mm. go around that person rather than mm -hmm. letting them plow into somebody. Exactly. Um, so exactly. you can see a little bit further ahead. You can see the bigger picture a little bit more. So just using the, that language along the way yep. to support that, that they stay competent. 
Right. And that's really yeah. cluing them into that visual referencing that there's yeah. something that your eyes need to be focused mm -hmm. on so that you can make a decision. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then the yeah. last one is break down the role. So talk yeah, to us about well, that. I would even think, okay, that with you, you just gave an example of Aaron with his sisters, like what's an example of a role that was too big and not competent for him. Um, and then we could break that one down. So like he loves tater tots and we have this uh -huh. little air fryer. And so they just said, you need to make your own tater tots. Well, he got so upset because he doesn't even know, like even just finding them in the freezer, our freezer is full of stuff. Mm -hmm. So for him, and then he has to get it out and he has to put a little, paper on the air fryer tray you know there's like so many steps but to my daughters who are you know in their 20s they're like just make your tater tots like what's the big deal mm -hmm. but I think for him it's I, I wouldn't even know where to start because he's never yeah. put tater tots on a tray before how many does he put on there how does he know what you know um temperature to set the little oven thing out how long do they cook for so when they say just make your own tater tots he gets very distraught you know and very mm -hmm. upset with them um and he'll be like I don't want tater tots then like if I have to do it then I'll just eat your you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want tater <laughs> yep. tots. So that's the example yeah. that I can. So then if you were to break the, so there wasn't a clear role in there, except maker of tater tots, which we know is too big. Um, right. But, but even, so say you took the bag out. So here's an example. Say you took the bag out or he took the bag out of the freezer, mm -hmm. put it on the table and you said you can be the opener. Oh, but yep. say for someone opening the bag in and of itself was a tricky role fine motor wise, mm -hmm. then you would break that down further. So it wouldn't just be you're the opener. It's how about we're pullers together and you open oh, the together you or yep. you pull the yep. left, I'll pull the right. I see. Or okay. I'll get the scissors and you hold the bag and we'll cut. There you go. That um, makes sense. So if opening, you know, again, you see that it's not competent in the moment and then how, how can you break it down and give them yep. a, a smaller role that is competent? That's perfect. Yeah, that is perfect. Yeah, beautiful. Just love it. Just love it. So, I think you, you're always safe if you go back to the idea of competence, competent roles. Yeah, something's not working. Role. So yeah, um, if you haven't yeah. read, um, you know, or just first joining us, or even if you have been following along, I think that's the key phrase over and over is, are you giving your child a competent role? We can ask that mm -hmm. as SLPs. If you're a teacher, are you, are, because every, every student in your class is going to probably have a different level of their competence in, in the role that you're expecting. But if you're a parent, am I giving my child a competent role so that they can have success? So mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> next week, um, let's see how many chapters do we have left? Let's see. We have 50. So let's do chapters 10, 11. We can do 10, 11, 12. 12. Yeah, we can do 10, because yeah, 12 looks like it's just pretty much just practice. practice yeah, so let's yeah. do 10 and 11, and then people who own the book, maybe we'll go through one of those examples. I see Hot Wheels on page 106, <laughs> so I feel like we're going to have go. to yeah. talk about that. So yeah. yeah, we'll do 10, 11, and then kind of buzz through 12, and mm -hmm. we will be close to uh, wrapping this this beautiful, yeah. beautiful book up. So Pretty soon you can announce your next book, which I know, Mom, we got to get on that, because I don't know if we can right. do that. So, there you go. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for joining us for another, epi another episode of Education Chapter Chat. Mike, tell us where people can find this as a podcast. Yep, so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, just type in Education Chapter Chat. You'll see both of our faces and our little blue icon there. Uh, and, and every week I always check the downloads and the unique listens. And, you know, we have people listening in like 12, 13, 14 different countries now. Uh, and it's really, really expanded. So knowing that Chapter Chat has become an international sensation, yes. uh, it's it really, uh, it, it really warms the heart. That's right. So if you haven't yet purchased or read um, Linda's books, the Declarative Language Handbook, the Co-Regulation Handbook, they're available on Amazon. They're like $10 a piece. So anyways, they are well worth it. Make sure you go back and listen to past episodes if you have not done That's so. Right. And we will see you guys uh, in a week and we will uh, continue this conversation. So thank you guys yeah. so much. Thank you. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. See you guys soon.